welcome to this Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. Working for difference, making business better and fairer. The DIFF series of podcasts is aimed at helping people from underrepresented groups get into and get on in the mortgage and protection industry. And to help everyone understand why genuinely prioritizing diversity is good for all of us individually, good for your business, and good for the mortgage market as a whole. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals participating and not necessarily of their respective companies, either past or present. Welcome, everybody, to another Trailblazing GIF podcast. Joining me today is Richard Roundtree, Managing Director of Paragon Bank. Richard, despite his youthful looks, has been around in the mortgage market for decades and has worked at nearly all the major institutes that you can speak of, Santander, Lloyds, TSB, Halifax, as well as Bank of Ireland. He's also a non-executive board member for the Estuary Housing Association, so his considerations are sort of broad and deep. And he carries the burden of being a Tottenham Hotspur fan with more aplomb than most. And joining Richard and I today is Hui Lee from Dynamo. And Hui, can I ask you to introduce yourself and just tell us how you ended up being a mortgage broker? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a small housing estate next to Broadwater Farm, which is on Tottenham's ground, and I could hear the Spurs Stadium and match days. I was fortunate enough to go to boarding school age 11, went to university at Imperial College, and I graduated with a master's degree in cognitive neuroscience. I then decided to joined the public sector and worked in cabinet office and I joined the police. I wanted a bit more of a challenger career. Ten years in the police, five of which was a detective. I decided to leave and I sort of fell accidentally into the mortgage industry. I was a client at Dynamo and I really enjoyed my experience there with uh, my old broker Dobrin. And one day I just said to him, how to become one of you and sent my CV through and phone call from Ying next day. Three weeks later, I walked through the hallowed turf of Dynamo and haven't looked back since. So that's my journey so far. Thank you very much, Weed. Interesting, and we'll come to Richard as well in a minute. So you grew up on a housing estate, not one of the posh ones, and you went to boarding school. Can you tell us how that happened and how important it was that you got a different kind of education than you expected to get? I was fortunate enough to sort of qualify for a government-assisted place, which was a Tory initiative in the sort of early 90s. And my mum applied for it and I got it. It wasn't like a scholarship. I'm not smart enough to have a scholarship, but it was promoting children from inner cities to experience this sort of private education that boarding schools offer. So our fees were assisted and it, it really opened doors and opportunities for me, which I grabbed hold of with both hands. And Richard, despite the fact that you come overall sort of posh and privileged, you didn't go to private school, did you? You went to a comprehensive and didn't go to university. So an interesting interesting look at social mobility. Do you want us to sort of like give us a little bit of insight into your background? Sure. Yeah, absolutely, Barra. I attended a, a local comprehensive and it wasn't really until I had the opportunity to stay on and do A-levels that I think opportunities really opened up for me. And I think that was all down to 
sponsorship by one or two really brilliant teachers I had at school at that time because certainly my experience at school was very much easily bored, distracted and average at a point um, and it wasn't until I had that opportunity to say take that learning on in a, in a different way in subjects that I really enjoyed that I excelled. So I, I didn't go to university or to college, I stayed on and done my A-levels and subsequently did get my degree but while I was working for Halifax and being sponsored, eight years of banking exams and then finally my financial services degree. So the long way of doing it but very much, as I say, the first in my family to go to university and a lot to be said for actually having that work experience alongside academic studies, which clearly took you know, a long time. The position you're in now as MD of Paragon, do you think it's still a viable route? Does it still exist for people who don't want to go to university, don't want the debt? Can that still happen? I think it's more difficult and I think that's something that certainly needs looking at. I'm a huge advocate for it because, as I say, having that lived experience and that opportunity, I've always been somebody that's worked hard from a very young age actually and um, sort of even from the age of 13 whether that was cleaning the beaches doing a paper round Saturday jobs working in the supermarket they bring a whole different set of skills social skills how to interact with older people and, and learn to adapt your personality so that, that early experience formed that and I think there's an extension of that that you can get if you take a job earlier and learn the trade and the skills and the softer side of, of working in organisations I, I think is a huge opportunity that, that has definitely fallen away whether that's right the way from you know Saturday jobs, who who really has Saturday jobs anymore, and right the way through to that opportunity to coming in as a more of an apprenticeship type role and being sponsored through. So you know the Halifax program they took me through was called Accelerated Development Program, which was pretty much like a graduate program but internally driven for those that were seen to have talent and sponsored, and that's a big part of where I am today. So massive advocate for it, and we we should do more. Excellent. So we expect a Paragon Accelerated Development Program quite soon, then Richard. We uh, going back to you. So you had a great opportunity and went to a boarding school, must have mixed with different people. I know we discussed before, there is a big difference between how the mates that you had at school and what they did and turned out and the mates that you had on the housing estate turned out, as you'd expect. But the difference is is quite stark, isn't it? We talked about polo on one side and prison on the other. Do you want to talk to us about those two different sets of friends that you had? Uh, it's literally you know one week to the next so in term times i'll be mixing with the boys at school from very different backgrounds affluent families wealthy families in a very nice area this is temple bishop's Dortford. and then at home i'll come home to housing state and i'll be playing football on the street kicking it up against the wall in the houses and yeah i mean everyone's heard of doug and brothers they were close by you know they used to go up and down towards broadwater farm i know some of my friends now well some some of the guys i knew growing up they have addiction problems. I know a couple have been inside for some serious crime, but that's some of the people. And on the other side, some of the people that I grew up in around Tottenham, they became police officers like I did as well. So it is true. I mean, police officers and criminals sometimes are of the same ilk, so to speak. And then, you know, I'll go back to school and I'll be around, you know, rugby playing, hockey playing, cricket playing people again. So I was very lucky to have the diverse, I guess it's, it was everything English, shall we say. You know, I, I was lucky to experience every spectrum there is within this country. Richard, that just really shows the importance of opportunity and education and what it can give you. Do you sort of think that we need to look at this more closely? Is it just as simplistic as that? If we threw a huge amount of money on education to everybody that was in a council estate, would they all end up as successful as we? Or do you think 
some of it's down to the individual. And also, I know that you're involved in a couple of initiatives to help that. So if you could talk about that too, in your opinion. Yes, certainly. I think education clearly has a role to play and will always continue to be important. But I don't think it should be a barrier. And certainly my experience in trying to establish my first job as as building my career in the early 90s at the difficult jobs market, applying for hundreds of roles in the city and getting very, very few opportunities to even get through the door to have a conversation. So starting at an entry-level role, a cashier job I started actually in, in a local town, but it helped me build my resilience to knockbacks and setbacks. But I am somebody that uses that to energize me to work twice as hard to try and prove myself. And not everybody is built that way. So we are missing out on a huge talent pool. And you're right, there is some really exciting work that's going on. So in order to boost productivity and levelling up opportunities, the government has commissioned the City of London Corporation to lead an independent task force. And this is very much around the task force having the vision of equity of progression. So where high performance is valued rather than just fit and polish. And the reason they've done that, just to give a couple of stats, is the research that underpins this shows that 89% of senior roles in financial services are held by people from higher socioeconomic backgrounds. And that's defined as your parents' occupation when you was at the age of 14. And if you compare that to across the UK working population, it's only 33%. And even UK CEOs economy-wide, it's 52%. So there's a big talent pool missing out and there's a huge opportunity to, to really tap into that and give people a chance to establish themselves and show what they can do. And it's not just that first opportunity. If you then look at the opportunities of those that come from a lower socioeconomic background, they progress at 25% slower than their peers. And that's with no link to performance. So clearly there's there's other things at play here. And my experience of that and something we need to break is the you know, employees becoming exhausted by efforts to conform to sort of dominant cultures they're going into in financial services. And it's layered. You know, it's not just around that social economic background, but also the research found that male employees are third more likely to attend an independent school than their female colleagues. And white employees are twice as likely to attend an independent school than their black colleagues. So there's a whole range of factors at play here. But the big question is, how do we tap into this? And, and this is where the task force has been established to really take this to the next level of how we can drive this forward. And, and my role is I'm on the advisory board, so I'll, I'll be a sounding board, an advisor, a critical friend to those that task force to help share best practice and take some of the outputs within my organisation and across the wider financial services industry. That is a superb initiative, and I'm glad somebody's taking it seriously because it is, as you said, an enormous waste of talent and resource and society and everybody could benefit from us making sure that everybody reaches their potential. It, it just makes so much sense. It's stupid that we haven't done more about it until now. I'd like to move on, if I may, we, to the makeup of the advisor community that we see. Largely speaking, it is getting better from a gender perspective. But in terms of ethnicity, you and Ying are probably the only East Asian heritage mortgage advisors I know there's not many of you guys out there or have I got that wrong and I just don't meet the right people? I think there is a one other who I've seen on LinkedIn who, who is a prominent figure. But yeah, I mean, two or three and let's say even five, that's that's not very many numbers at all. In Dynamo, our office here, there are a lot more female advisors coming through and it's great to see. And I think in terms of our ethnicity, East Asian in particular, it's funny, it's, there's not many and not many walk through the door for interviews as well. And, and I often ask why. And I think, I think traditionally, our families probably push us towards the more sort of prominent professions. 
as doctors, lawyers, accountants, that sort of role, not really mortgage advisors. I see what you mean. So from a South Asian heritage myself, I, I know that the professions as defined by doctor, accountant and lawyer are the ones that everybody wants you to know, which is why you don't find that many Asian football players because they never get a chance to pursue that as a career. Is there anything we can do, either Richard or we, is there anything we can do to actually showcase mortgage advice as a genuine professional alternative that people could consider to build a, a very successful career in? Because, you know, when you look at how well some people have done, it is quite fantastic. If you look at Peter Brodnicki, worth lots of money, floated MAB, etc. The potential is huge. And do we need to do more to encourage communities to actually look at this marketplace as a, a potential for career? I think we've got a, a massive opportunity, Barrett. And, and, and it's some practical examples. It's typically what you're looking for when recruiting mortgage advisors is somebody with experience and qualifications. Well, how do you get those experience and qualifications? So I think there's an opportunity to bring people in earlier, maybe in more junior roles. And coming back to this sponsorship or whether that's uh, apprenticeships or certain schemes that can bring people in that have got enthusiasm and talent and, and, you know, and great with people, all those sort of softer skills that are often overlooked to give them an opportunity to come into, which is what is a, a wonderful industry with lots of opportunity. So the short answer is I think we need to take a few more risks rather than looking for somebody that's got that baked in experience. Would you agree with that, Wayne? hundred percent. You know, everything is right. By the way, with what Richard's describing earlier, I was smiling with the recognition of the ability to recognize certain talent pools that are underrepresented in this industry. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we have an opportunity, uh, but you know, I think for example, people like us and people like me, we have an opportunity to show what can be achieved and, and what we can offer to industry and it's exciting. That's uh, one of the reasons we do the trailblazer things because sometimes, probably like yourself, we, you're too busy doing your work to actually take some time out to be a role model, to actually show yourself around as an example of what the industry has to offer people from heritages that are not necessarily the traditional ones where we've actually recruited from before. I'd like to sort of also explore, which I think you've touched on, Richard, a couple of times, is the importance of sponsorship in one way or another. You know, whether it is teachers that have taken the trouble to sort of support you and help you and direct you, or, or people within the industry or in schools or university that have done the same. Should we be doing more to reach out to people and offer ourselves up as mentors, etc., and how do you think we can do more of that so that we actually put a, an almost sort of burden, for want of a better word, on successful people to go and help other people in the industry, next generation, to be as successful as you are? Yeah, I think there's a number of things we can do. And certainly uh, what we've just been talking about there, role models and seeing people that have come through this with lived experience that look and think like me, obviously, is a big motivator to get people interested in the first place to show that, that you know this could be a real exciting career opportunity for me. The sponsorship thing, I think, is critical. W without that, you know, clearly, if you're going to take risks, a few things are going to go wrong. And we need to allow for that and not be put off by that. And certainly something that we now have brought in place in Paragon is a, an EDI network. So this is the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Network of a whole host of people across the whole of the group to look at how can we open up these opportunities with practical actions and a plan to improve this rather than just talking about it and having key measures 
Because I think one of the things, and again, this comes back to where the task force will play a big role across the, the whole of the industry, is we need a starting point. So where are we starting from? How do we collect that data? Because we've made good progress with the likes of gender data, but other areas, socioeconomic, racial data, we don't really know where the starting point is and what gets measured gets done. So how do we hold senior leaders to account for opening up and bringing through talent through the organizations? That, that's something we can all help with. So if, if you're listening and you think, how do I get involved here? You can get involved in a number of ways in terms of helping shape the outputs by sharing data you might have in your own organizations, raising awareness for greater socioeconomic diversity in your own company and, and across the mortgage industry, and genuinely looking for those sponsorship opportunities where we can take local communities, opportunities with vacancies to look more broadly, not just think about your job adverts. What are you asking for in terms of criteria and expand that more to take a few more risks? That would be my key advice. What do you think you could do, we on the advisor side of things? At Dynamo, what's fantastic is that we give people opportunities that we have a lot of trainee consultants that have recently started from a diverse range of backgrounds. Historically, we've had people that used to work in McDonald's, ex old bill, one flair bartender. It's a great opportunity. You get given a chance and then um, it's up to the individual to run with it. But you have a support behind you from everyone, not just within our training department, but from all the advisors around. You walk into Dynamo and you see a vast range of different backgrounds straight away and you feel it. You feel the energy. You feel the vibe. So I didn't mean to plug Dynamo too much, but that's how it is. It's a fantastic company to work for. Oh, we just add as well, Barrett, Barrett, just coming back in on this. One thing we do have to be careful of is, you know, if you think about the, the experience you've had over the last 12 months and how we might work differently in the future, it's great that people can be more flexible at how they work. But as we adapt to what that new world looks like and working from home, consideration must be given to those that are starting earlier on in their career. Because certainly much of the, the skills and experience I built up was being in the thick of it. So learning by osmosis and, and being part of that function in office with, with people of skills and different experiences. And there's a danger that the people that haven't built their networks, haven't got that experience, miss out on that opportunity. So I know it's something that we're all wrestling with about this new way of working, but that should be high in terms of consideration to make sure we don't miss that opportunity of bringing people through with less experience and less privileged backgrounds. I think you're absolutely right, Richard. I think one of the lessons that we've got to retain is that what the situation has taught us is that when everybody goes home to work, it is not an equal situation. If you're in the office, you've all got access to the same Wi-Fi, access to other people and experiences. If you happen to come from an underprivileged background, your Wi-Fi might not be great. You may not have a room to serve as an office. You may have wider family circumstances. And I do think it is important that society, but certainly our industry, ensures that some opportunity to go into the office and access all the facilities and experiences that that offers remains and remains a strong attractor to new talent in the industry. So I agree 100% with what you said. And I think it was, was very refreshing that Ying opened up the office as soon as it was possible and got people back in together as safely as possible. And I thought, you know, he should be applauded for that. That was a good thing. As advisors, although our work is individual, but the collaboration with our colleagues, you know, the knowledge that we share around is, is so key that working in the office together, you feed off each other's energy, you feed off each other's knowledge, experiences. If you're stuck, um, there's someone close by that will probably have a solution for you. And yes, there is the necessity for that flexible working for personal reasons. And I'm a, uh, you know, I'm an advocate of that as well. But for me, working in the office with colleagues around me, to me, it's, it's chalk and cheese. I came back to the office as soon as I can. 
So Richard, so if people want to get involved or know more about the task force and what it's trying to do, how do they go about it? Okay, so the task force has just had its first meeting and, and there's going to be more that's going to be communicated and followed up from there. There will be an opportunity to respond to the consultation in the industry. So I, I definitely encourage those that work within businesses to encourage their employer to become involved. But equally, Barrett, I'm very happy for people to reach out to me directly if they're interested, if there's more they want to know, uh, and I can make sure they have all the information and, and connect them up with the right people to get heavily involved because the more we can involve people here the more successful it's going to be thank you very much richard so we've touched on a number of things so that we've agreed that there are huge opportunities for lots of people out there in our industry and to a certain extent we've all got a responsibility to make sure that we showcase ourselves our industry to people that are not seen to be the automatic natural fit that didn't automatically go to university and are not necessarily fully privileged with everything that's gone before them. So I hope that that will inspire people to actually, you know, try the industry out as a career. And we will try and get our podcasts to a big an audience as possible, as new an audience as possible, to see if we can get fresh blood to the industry. And thank you guys for what you've had to say. It's been quite inspiring for me. And I'm an old man in the industry, so I can't wait to see the opinions of younger people listening to this. So thank you, We thank you, Richard. If you have enjoyed this episode and want diversity and inclusion to have as wide an audience as possible, make sure you share with your friends and colleagues and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.